There was a couple, and they were having trouble in their relationship, so they did the right thing. They went to a marriage counselor, and after several sessions of listening and, and asking questions, the counselor figured out the problem, and this is what he did. He stood up, he walked over to the woman and had her stand up, and he gave her a really big hug, and then he turned to her husband and said, now, sir, this is what your wife needs every single day. And with a puzzled look, the man said to the counselor, well, that's great. Um, what time do you want me to bring her back tomorrow? That's for the guys, by the way, who are here this morning. Um, we're continuing our series called We Are the Church, and today we're going to look at a very important topic, the topic of marriage. And let me say this. I hope, first of all, that this message will be very helpful to those of you who are presently married. I also hope that the principles that we're gonna look at today will help you help other people who are married, whether you're married or not. Now, for some of you, that might mean helping your kids because your kids are married. Um, it might mean preparing your kids for marriage. It might mean helping your grandkids, a person at work, a neighbor, a friend who is married. Now, some of you today may be thinking about marriage. Some of you may be engaged. Some of you may be searching online or in person for Mr. or Ms. Wright. Whatever the case may be, I really hope that today you'll find encouragement and even a challenge from God in this message. Because church, these are not my ideas. These are God's ideas. And I know that there are so many perspectives on marriage in our culture today, even within the church. Marriage is being redefined. Um, there are people who want to take marriage for a test drive, and so they move in and live together. But here's what I want you to see. In his word, God has a plan for marriage. It's a covenant relationship between one man and one woman. And we're going to look at that plan this morning. And here's how I want to begin. I want to read a letter to you. Dear Pastor, when I first fell in love with my husband, I was sure, absolutely sure, that he was the right person for me. But over the years, as we've lived together through a lot of messy situations, I've seen many sides of my husband that I don't like. My feelings toward him have turned from respect and attraction to disappointment and sometimes even disgust. I now feel like maybe I married the wrong person. Why do I feel this way and what can I do about it? Something has to change. Church, over the years that I've been your pastor, I have met with so many couples. And I think all of us have, have seen marriages that have gone in the wrong direction. Marriages that have gone from good to bad. Marriages where I do becomes I don't. Marriages where the love boat got shipwrecked. And the question is, why does that happen? How does it happen? Well, typically there are three stages in marriages that fail. There's harmony, and then there's hostility, and that gives way to apathy. And here's what I mean. Marriages often start with harmony. A man and a woman are really in love, and everything is going great. But as time goes by, couples encounter conflict. And when that conflict isn't handled properly, it leads to hostility. And if the issues that are prompting the hostility are not resolved, it leads to apathy. And this is where a husband or a wife says, listen, I just don't care anymore. I just want out of this marriage. And the question is, what causes that? What causes such a promising beginning 
to end so tragically. Today I want to talk to you about this, a marriage makeover. Now we all know what a physical makeover is, right? We've seen the TV shows, somebody gets a new wardrobe, a new hairstyle, new makeup, and, and everybody goes, wow, you look great, what happened? Well, this morning, I want to talk about what we can do to transform our marriages. Now, some of you may have a good marriage this morning. Can it get better? Well, absolutely. Some of you may be struggling. Some of you may be in serious trouble in your relationship today. Whatever the case may be, I hope that these principles will encourage and challenge you in terms of your marriage relationship and also do this, equip you to help others. So let's take a look at this Bible verse in the book of Proverbs. It says this. It takes wisdom to have a good family, and it takes understanding to make it strong. And that is so true. In order to have a strong marriage, you have to work on getting things right. And before you can work on getting things right, you have to understand the things that can go wrong in marriage. So here's kind of the structure of the message. I'm going to talk about some things that cause marriages to go wrong, and then I'm going to talk about some things that cause marriages to succeed. So there on your outline... I'm going to talk about four things that can cause a marriage to fail. And here's the first, and it's related to this picture. Unrealistic expectations. Unrealistic expectations. How many of you are familiar with the movie The Princess Bride? This is a classic movie. I think my adult children can recite this entire movie verbatim because we've watched it so many times. But here's what I was thinking about. So often... Our expectations of marriage are shaped by our culture. Isn't that true? And in this movie, I mean, true love overcomes every obstacle. And this couple lives, well, it's a fairy tale. So they live what? Happily ever after. Now, here's something else when it comes to unrealistic expectations with marriage. Have you ever seen one of these magazines? a bridal magazine. Now, I really think they should put a, a warning label on the front of these magazines that says any connection with reality is purely coincidental. <laughs> I actually had a guy in the first service who said he started to twitch when he saw this because you know, he's got several daughters who have been married. And you know, you open the magazine and it tells you exactly what you need to do to be a beautiful bride on the big day. And we really shouldn't be surprised that brides look so stunning because that involves a lot of work. And you think about this, guys, um, if you're married, can you go back in time to that day, the big day, and you were standing there, and your bride is walking down the aisle, and you are just, you're floored because she is absolutely gorgeous. But here's the question. Is it reasonable to expect that she's going to look like that every day? Yeah, some of you are going, yeah, is, that's, that's a realistic expectation. Well, wise would say probably not. Now, here's another, here's another um, expectation, the honeymoon. Now, I've got a, you want to see this picture? Here's the next one. The perfect honeymoon location. Because everybody knows that honeymoons are always perfect, right? That's what we expect, right? Perfect food, perfect weather, perfect room. Everything that happens in the room is supposed to be perfect. And because this is a perfect place for perfect couples, nobody ever gets sunburned, seasick, or has a hangover. Because, hey, honeymoons are perfect. And here's my point. We often come into marriage and we have these unrealistic expectations. You know, I've had the privilege of, of um, being a part of a lot of wedding ceremonies. And it's really remarkable because on the big day, um, you can look into the eyes of this bride and this groom-to-be and you can almost tell what they're thinking. This is going to be great. This is going to be perfect. 
But there's just one problem with that. It's unrealistic because you've got an imperfect woman and an imperfect man. And what happens when you put two imperfect people together? You don't get a perfect marriage. And so here's the deal. We have to have realistic expectations. And the expectation is this. I got stuff. My wife's got stuff. We brought it into our marriage. We're going to have to work on it. But with God's grace, we can accomplish his goal for our marriage. So the first first thing that can cause a marriage to fail is unrealistic expectations. Here's number two, unaccepted differences. Unaccepted differences. This is a verse in the book of Romans. It says, accept one another then just as Christ accepted you. Now, Paul's writing this to Christians. It's a general principle, but it's really important in marriage that we accept one another just as Christ has accepted us. Now, It's clear God wants us to accept our differences, and you probably all heard that cliche that in marriage, opposites attract. And some of you know that by experience. You know, sometimes um, one person loves to talk and the other person is quiet and shy. Sometimes one person in a marriage loves to spend money and the other loves to save money. Sometimes one of the people in a marriage likes structure. They want to know exactly what's going to happen next, and their person is completely spontaneous. Sometimes in a marriage, one is punctual and the other is not. They're often late. Um, One of you is an early bird, the other is a late owl. Um, One of you is organized, the other is messy. When it comes to your physical relationship in your marriage, one of you may be a microwave and the other might be a crock pot. I'm just gonna let you think about that one. Very often, very often, opposites attract and, and here's the deal. You are drawn to and you are fascinated by somebody who's different than you are. But sometimes that difference can lead to frustration. And if it isn't handled properly, it can lead to hostility. And now you're, you're just headed down the wrong road. And here's what we need to realize. Our differences are an opportunity to grow in our ability to love and accept one another. Now, if you're married this morning, you think about that. Um, if you're dating... Think about that. What is something that's different um, in your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your husband, your wife that you need to accept this morning? Well, here's a third factor that makes marriages fail. Number three, unresolved issues. And this one is huge. Unresolved issues. There may be things in your marriage right now, um, and they've caused problems in the past, and the truth is that you and your spouse have never worked them out. You know, it could be how you handle money. It could be discipline issues with the kids. It could be your sex life. It could be your in-laws. It could be all kinds of stuff. But the subject is so touchy that you don't even bring it up. And if somebody tries to bring it up, you quickly realize this is off limits. Here's the thing. Unresolved issues can sink your marriage. And what many people don't realize, or they don't realize this, as well as they should. The worst unresolved issues in marriage usually aren't the ones created in your marriage. They're the ones that you brought into the marriage. Because when you come into a marriage relationship, you're not a blank slate. You've got stuff. You've got hurts and you've got habits and you have perspectives about the way things were done in your family growing up and you bring those into your marriage relationship. You see, marriage doesn't just create problems, it reveals them. And many of us brought many more flaws into our marriage than we realized. And many times, when we're in conflict with our spouse, 
we may be reacting to something that happened a long time ago. Now, we all grew up in different homes. You know, maybe you had a, lo a lot of love and encouragement and affirmation growing up as a kid, and maybe you didn't. You know, maybe you had parents that were controlling and they didn't encourage you or, or affirm you enough. And anytime a situation arises where you're reminded of, of that disappointment or hurt in your family, what happens is you become angry and frustrated and you take out those emotions on the person that you should love the most, your husband or your wife. And let me ask you this. Has this ever happened to you? You're having a conversation with your spouse and it seems from your perspective that they are really overreacting. Have you, am I the only one? Ever experienced that? And, and here's the question, and this is, I think all of us have been there. Where did that come from? Have you ever thought that? Because you thought it was a, just a simple conversation, and they just, they blew up, and they got really upset and angry. Here's where that came from, more than likely, unresolved issues from the past. Now, those of you who are single adults this morning, I want to encourage you to do two things. First of all, deal with issues from your past before you get married understand what they are. And one of the best ways to do that is to go through premarital counseling. You know, people spend a fortune on their wedding. I think it's a wise investment to have premarital counseling from a Christian counselor that can help you understand your past and how it's affected you so that you can have a strong, healthy marriage. And so this morning, if you're married... Let me ask you this. Do you have any unresolved issues that you've never really faced? And some of you right now are wishing that I would just move on to the next point. Really. And, and I get that. Um, there were things in, in my marriage that I just didn't want to talk about for years. And by God's grace, my wife and I had some really important and serious conversations. And here's why I'm so concerned about that. Because I know this from personal experience. You will never have the closeness and the joy that God intends for you in your marriage until you do that. Until you really are honest about those unresolved issues. Now let me give you a fourth factor that causes marriages to fail and then we're going to turn a corner. But here's number four, unforgiven hurts. Unforgiven hurts. Look at this verse from Ephesians. It says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. One of the realities of marriage, in fact, this is just a reality of life, is that people hurt each other. How many of you were hurt this week? Probably a lot of us. And here's the thing. Sometimes we hurt other people unintentionally. We didn't even mean to do it. Other times there is the intention to hurt. But whatever the case may be, God calls us to forgive. And in marriage, forgiveness needs to be a daily habit. Ruth Graham Bell the wife of Billy Graham said this one time. She said, a successful marriage is the union of two forgivers. And I've always liked that. A successful marriage is the union of two forgivers. Marriages need a massive amount of forgiveness. And I will tell you this. If you hold on to those hurts, it will affect your heart. And there will be a bitterness and a resentment that will just fester inside of you until you really forgive from your heart. And you know, the question is, why do we do that? Why do we hold on to these hurts? And we know they're toxic to our relationship, but so often people refuse to forgive. And I think the reason is this, because when there is conflict, we want to be well-armed. 
If my wife says, well, you did that, I want to be able to reach back into my stockpile of arsenal, pick up a grenade and say, but you did this. I want you to look at this verse again. Be kind, compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as, and that's really the pivot on which this turns, just as in Christ, God forgave you. So this morning, if you're married, is there still a hurt that you need to let go? Something that you need to forgive. And, and church, I know that when it comes to forgiveness, that it is an act of the will and our emotions take a while to catch up. It's a process that we work through. But are you willing to continue working through that process of forgiveness? Well, so far we've talked about things that cause marriages to fail. Let's talk about some things that cause marriages to succeed. And I want to point out three, and here's the first. This is on your outline. Accept responsibility. Accept responsibility for your biblical role as a husband or wife. Accept responsibility for your biblical role as a husband or a wife. Now, who can identify this family? Who knows? I tell you what, what's the name of the TV show? All right, how many of you know this? All right, all right. I'm going to draw everybody else into the conversation in just a moment. Um, now, Mr. and Mrs. Cleaver, did they have a good marriage? Do you ever see an episode of, of Leave it the Beaver? I mean, they worked through their stuff. And here's the thing. This TV show reflected the cultural values of America during a certain point in our history. Isn't that true, the 50s, the 60s? There were certain values. There were certain discussions about marriage and parenting. Has that discussion changed in a significant way? Because here's another TV family, right? And they got some stuff, some serious stuff. Now, here's, here's why I bring this up. Because we have a generation that's being influenced by our culture in terms of what the role of a husband is and what the role of a wife is. And in fact, we're deeply affected by the family that we grew up in. You know, what's a dad and a mom supposed to be like? Well, we learned that in our family of origin. But here's the most important thing that I want you to think about this morning. God tells us about the role of a husband and the role of a wife. And that has never changed. Ever since the days of Adam and Eve, those roles have not changed. So let me do this. And this is really kind of the, the Reader's Digest version because I could spend a whole series on this. But we're going to look very quickly at the role of a husband and the role of a wife. So take a look at your outline. Get ready to fill in the blanks. Here's the responsibility of the husband. God expects me to be a servant leader. God expects me to be a servant leader as I sacrificially love my wife. God expects me to be a servant leader as I sacrificially love my wife. Here's a verse from Ephesians, the book that we've been studying. Paul says, husbands, love your wives. How? Well, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, here's the basic responsibility of the wife, also from the book of Ephesians. Look at your outline. Responsibility of the wife. God expects me to help my husband to help my husband fulfill his responsibilities as a servant leader by loving and supporting him. God expects me to help my husband fulfill his responsibilities as a servant leader by loving and supporting him. And here's the verse from Ephesians directed to wives. First of all, Paul says this, submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. 
Now, I'm going to step into a place that angels fear to tread as I talk about <laughs> leadership and submission because it is so widely misunderstood. And, and so many times, you know, people inside the church and people outside the church have a misunderstanding of what this looks like and how it's supposed to work. Because there are times where I hear this, that, oh, you Christians, you know, the wife's like a doormat. You know, she's supposed to do whatever the husband says. He's like el presidente, and she just has to be a servant. Now, here's what we need to understand, that this relationship between a husband and wife is built on the analogy of Christ and the church. And this is really crucial, because here's what Paul says to husbands. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church, and gave himself up for her. And I wrote down this statement, and it's been playing in my head all week long. And here it is. Guys, listen carefully. A husband's leadership role involves serving his wife and taking responsibility for her welfare, even to the point of extreme sacrifice. Did you hear that, guys? Our role is to serve our wives with this concern for their welfare even to the point of extreme sacrifice. And I will tell you this. Over the years that I, I've been here as your pastor, over the years that I've had this privilege, I have seen guys in our church that have exemplified this in remarkable ways. They have such a deep commitment to their wives, and they have served their wives to the point of extreme sacrifice. And that has been such an encouragement to me and it is an encouragement to our entire church family when guys really step up and do this. And wives, let me just take a, a quick look at this, this area of submission because verse 22 says, wives, submit to your husbands, but it says this, as to the Lord. Now, if you look at your outline, I've actually given you a definition of submission. It says submission is voluntarily yielding to another in love. Voluntarily yielding to another in love. And here's what we need to see. The model for submission is our relationship with Jesus. Are we supposed to submit to Jesus Christ? If you're a Christian this morning, are you supposed to submit to Jesus Christ? And the answer is, you bet we are. But why? Why do we love Jesus? The scripture says he first loved us. He laid down his life for us. And so he wants us to voluntarily yield to him out of love. And that's what submission is all about. Now, again, the purpose of this submissive role is the fact that there are different roles in marriage. Men and women are exactly the same in the eyes of God, but there are different roles on the marriage team. And the role of a wife is to help her husband fulfill his God-given responsibility to lead and to be a servant leader. And I, I think as I look at the state of marriage in the church, outside the church, if somebody were to ask me this question, what is the number one thing that you would say is wrong with marriages? And for me, it would be very straightforward. The passivity of men when it comes to servant leadership. And guys, we need to step up. We really do, because here's the deal. If a guy submits himself to Jesus Christ, and I mean seriously, says, Lord, I want to be the man you want me to be, how hard do you think it'd be for a, a wife to submit herself to that kind of leader? Because that's what it says, as unto the Lord. Guys, we're supposed to model 
for our wives the love that Jesus has for us. And that is a huge marriage changer. Now, here's something else I want to point out real quickly. The idea that, that a wife is the helper. And I've addressed this in, in weddings that I've conducted because I've heard women say this. Oh, so the husband gets to be the leader and I'm just the helper. Like, well, he's first class, I'm coach. Listen carefully. Um, I remember the first time that I encountered that question, I said to this woman, well, let me ask you this. Who else in Scripture is called your husband's helper? And do you know the answer? God. Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in times of trouble. So this role of helper is a, boy, that's a pretty important role, wouldn't you say? Because it's God's role. It's a role of dignity and honor and value. And here's, here's what's so important, that we just understand that there are different roles and different responsibilities. But when it comes to Jesus, men and women, husbands and wives are completely equal. Jesus loves us the same. As somebody said one time, the, the ground at the foot of the cross is completely level. Now, here's the next thing that can, can help build a strong, healthy marriage and move your, direction in the, move your marriage in the right direction. It's number two, believe God, believe God can change your marriage. Believe God can change your marriage. I'm going to let Scripture speak for itself. These are the words of Jesus. He said, humanly speaking, it is imposible. It's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And over the years, I have seen this verse play out. You know, when a marriage is in trouble, I often ask the husband and wife a simple question. Do you want to save your marriage? Yes or no? And if so, are you willing to do the hard work of establishing a marriage according to God's principles? Because that is really important. And when people have that kind of commitment, I have seen things that, from a human perspective, were impossible change dramatically. And I've seen hearts healed and, and marriages saved because of that. And look at this verse. This is another verse that just, I think, such a hopeful verse. It says, God, who is at work within you, will give you the will and the power to achieve his purpose. That's a great promise, isn't it? I mean, if you're serious about doing what God wants you to do, he's going to give you the power and the will to achieve his purpose. And in marriage, what is God's purpose for marriage? It's the idea of two hearts, two lives becoming one. I had a number of conversations with people after the first service, and they were all about marriage. And this one gentleman told me he's been married for 65 years. And you know what he said? He said, it wasn't true at first, but now my wife is a part of me. That's what God wants, this oneness in marriage. That's his purpose. And here's the third thing you need to do to get a marriage makeover. Number three, this is on your outline. Commit to doing whatever it takes to honor God in your marriage. Whatever it takes. Check out this Bible verse. Let us not get tired of doing what is right. For after a while, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't get discouraged and give up. So let me give you some practical things that you can do to honor God with your marriage. First of all, you've got to spend time with your spouse. I know that sounds simple, but it's absolutely crucial. And some couples are just so busy. It's like, you know, the two ships passing in the night. You need to spend time together. And think about this. If you're serious about 
not just sharing your heart, but if you've got issues to resolve, is that going to take some time? Well, you bet it is. These things did not happen overnight, and they're not going to get resolved overnight. And so listen, keep working on your relationship, and don't give up, because that honors God. Here's another important way to honor God with your marriage. Pray. Pray really hard. Pray with your spouse. Pray for your spouse. Find a way to build that into the rhythm of your day because it makes all the difference in the world. I tell you this, when, when my wife and I pray together and I hear Chris praying for me, I cannot tell you how much that encourages me because I, I know that God listens to my wife's prayers and often it's, help them, Jesus. That's a good prayer, to pray for your spouse and to find that encouragement. And here's, here's something else, just from a statistical point of view. Do you know who has the lowest divorce rate in America? Couples that pray together on a regular basis. So prayer is really important. And here's the third thing, get help. You know, if your marriage is in a spot where you, you've got some significant challenges, get help. And you know, one of the best ways to do that is to have a Christian friend that you can go to. Somebody who's a mature believer and they understand God's word and the principles of marriage that we've talked about today. It's good to have somebody that you can talk to. And sometimes that involves a Christian counselor who can really give you God's perspective and help you construct a game plan to improve your marriage. And let me say this, because I know this morning that in terms of marriage, you know, we've got all kinds of people here with all kinds of experiences. And some of you have been through the pain of divorce. Some of you may be going through that right now. And the scripture talks about marriage, it talks about divorce, I know in talking with other pastors, they have different perspectives on that. But I know this. I know God hates divorce. I mean, there are biblical grounds. Jesus talks about adultery. Paul talks about desertion. But the bottom line is that God hates divorce. And there are times when God permits it. But it always breaks his heart. And that's because it, it has such a profound influence on the people that he loves. And I want to say this, if you've gone through that, that heartbreaking experience of divorce, remember what Jesus said, I came to heal the brokenhearted. And I came to set the prisoners free. And I hope this morning that you'll do this. In fact, this is what we all need to do. We need to keep our eyes on Jesus. We need to come to him. We need to talk to him. And we need to follow him. And as we do, he will give us the grace that we need to live a life that honors God one day at a time.
as we rethink marriage, I, I, was just, I was just thinking, I wish I had more time this morning. There are so many things that, that I'd love to share with you. But just real briefly, let me say this, that we talked about how marriage is reflected in the relationship that Jesus has with his church. And I've been thinking about this all week long. I've been talking with some pastors earlier this week when I was in Atlanta at a conference. And we were talking about this fact that because of the gospel, and remember the gospel is the center out of which we live, that because of the gospel, because when you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're made righteous, you're completely accepted. Because of that, you have nothing to prove to God. And because of the gospel, we're completely forgiven, which means we have nothing to hide from God. And because of the gospel, we're loved, eternally loved, so we have nothing to fear from God. And isn't that the most incredible way to live, to have a relationship where there's nothing to prove, nothing to hide, nothing to fear? Now, can you imagine what a marriage would look like if that were the case? Because I believe that's God's design for our marriages. I think that's the kind of relationship that Adam and Eve had in the beginning before sin entered the world. Nothing to prove, nothing to hide, and nothing to fear. And so, church, this morning, I want to read these verses from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, but the, the bottom line here as we read these verses is that Jesus really, really loves you. And he wants you to love him back. He wants you to give your heart and your life to him so that you have nothing to prove and nothing to hide and nothing to fear. And so listen carefully to these words as I read them. Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, like we're doing right here, right now, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And in proclaiming the Lord's death, we proclaim his profound love for us. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. And Paul's saying, you need to understand this love that Jesus has for you. And you need to respond to this love by following him. And that really, I think, is Paul's, Paul's thinking here. You ought to examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. Have you really come to a place in your life where you've said, Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for saving me. I want to follow you. And Paul says, for anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord, without understanding who Jesus is, and what he's done for us drinks judgment on himself. Because here's the deal. Apart from Christ, we're not worthy to come and celebrate what he's done for us. It's only because we've understood this bad news that we're sinners who need a savior. And we talk about that all the time. That because God is holy and just, he can't just look the other way because of our sin. He has to do something about it. He has to be just. And that's why Jesus came. To save us from the consequences of our sin. Because apart from Jesus, we would spend eternity apart from the benevolent presence of God. And so Jesus comes to our world for one simple reason, because he loves you. And he would rather die than live without you. And so he allows himself to be hung on a cross. He allows himself to be killed. 
And in that, in that scene that played out so long ago, Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, a man on the greatest rescue mission the world has ever known, the blood dripping from his body, he knows why he's there. He's dying for you. He's dying for me. Because the reality is this, that God is willing to take my sin and my failure and my rebellion and put that on his perfect son. And Jesus, who never did anything wrong, is crushed because of my sin and your sin. He dies for us. And then, because God accepts this precious payment, he raises his son back to life. And this morning, we celebrate that, that Jesus is alive. Do you remember the song we sang this morning? I know my Redeemer lives. He does. He lives in us. He lives through us. He invites us into an entirely different kind of life as we receive his love and his grace and extend it to others. And that's so important in a marriage relationship. And so, church, as we come to the table this morning, I really hope that God will give you a special sense of his presence right here, right now. That he'll give you a special sense of his power to live a life, to make choices that honor and please him. So as we prepare to celebrate this incredible act of love, would you pray with me this morning? Father, as I was speaking this morning, I was just thinking about what you see this morning. God, you see what I don't see. You see our hearts. You see my heart, every heart here. And you know the things that we struggle with. Lord, you know the things that, that are unresolved issues that, that couples need to work on. Lord, you know where forgiveness needs to be extended. You know the temptations that we face. You know everything, God. And you still love us. And we are so thankful today. And God, for the person who maybe for the very first time is understanding this great love, and maybe for the first time they understand, hey, I really am a, a sinner and I need a savior. I pray today that they would take the greatest step of faith and trust Jesus. Just say, Lord, I, I want to follow you. Thank you for dying for me and, and rising from the dead. I need a new life, so please forgive me. And come into my life and, and Lord, make me the person you created me to be. And Lord, for those of us who are already Christians, Lord, today we need to ask you to look at our hearts. And Lord, if there's anything there that displeases you, I really pray, God, that you'll point that out. Show us what it is. Because right here, in this very moment, we can confess that to you and find forgiveness. And so, Lord, right now in the quiet, show us anything we need to confess to you. Father, thank you for the scripture that says that if we confess our sin, you are faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God, we claim that promise today. And I pray this morning, Lord, that in this, in this time, you would draw near to us, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.